For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Oklahoma is moving forward with the privatization of Medicaid. The Oklahoma Health Care Authority approved a $2.2 billion plan to hand over the state's Medicaid program over to for-profit companies. The move could impact roughly 700,000 Oklahomans. Ryan, what are your thoughts on the OHCA's move? Well, you know, one of the, the biggest takeaways for me is, is who was at the table making this decision. I mean, this is the, the health care authority, uh, you know, largely controlled by the governor at this point. And, and I'll talk about that in a moment of, of how that's happened. But the legislature is not at the table. And state legislators, Republicans and Democrats have expressed serious concern about moving forward here and the date at which a lot of these decisions have been made. The, the legislature kicks off on Monday. That's the first day of the session. So this decision was made prior to the legislature being able to have any sort of say about whether or not they want this to move forward, how they want to fund it, investigating things like how will this impact quality of care. Uh, and, you know, there's there's really... The difference between making this decision now and making it next month uh, is pretty inconsequential. Even the healthcare authority themselves say, if we put this off, uh, you know, that the implementation of this is months and months down the road. So waiting to make a decision until the legislature is back in session seems to make sense unless you don't want the legislature to have a say. Uh, I think ultimately the legislature will have a say. They're the ones that get to decide whether or not to fund this project. They have the ability to direct appropriations or not direct appropriations towards <clears throat> private managed care if they don't want to. Uh, and then again, going back to something I said at the very beginning, this is really a result of changes the legislature made a couple of years ago that consolidated, consolidated an enormous amount of power within the executive branch. And so their ability to have a say here and to hold the healthcare authority accountable really goes back to those votes a couple of years ago that really put the, the governor, uh, whoever the gov governor happens to be at that point, uh, and now we've got Governor Stitt, in the driver's seat in a lot of these decisions. Neva. Well, I, it is a fight that's been brewing for quite some time. I mean, the whole, the whole idea of managed care uh, and kind of that approach to health insurance coverage uh, has been kind of a, it's been one of those issues that legislators have been talking about for quite some time. The governor started talking about it, then back in the early summer decided to uh, uh, start the uh, process where bids would, uh, uh, public bidding would take place. Uh, we now see that seven companies uh, submitted bids to uh, uh, for the managed care proposal, three companies uh, on uh, managed dental treatment. And so we have the setup, as Ryan says, right here on the eve of the legislative session starting. Uh, it may well be that the that the uh, uh, the the contracts are let before the legislators ever ever hear the state of the state next week. It, it could be sometime before the end of the week. No one knows for sure. But uh, bottom line is, it is clear that uh, this is this is a looming fight in the legislature. I think a lot of people would like to de-escalate it and hope that somehow uh, uh, everyone can kind of work through the process. But this potential fight between the governor and the legislature, we already see there are at least 33 members of the legislature that have, have expressed opposition, numerous uh, Democrat uh, members as well. So 
um, it's not just a small isolated group uh, uh, concerned or speaking out vocally opposing this. And you also have to remember that, as we talked about uh, last week, I mean, here we have all of these major uh, Oklahoma healthcare associations that have also weighed in. I mean, they have they have from the hospital association, the pharmacist association. You can go down the list of folks that uh, came to this meeting this week uh, when the vote was taken and expressed grave concerns, uh, concerns that the uh, the actuarial analysis from the agency uh, that the impact could be reducing as much as by 40% inpatient care, and that on the behavioral health side, which uh, is becoming a growing uh, uh, a growing area of interest and concern, reducing it potentially by 20% within the first year under managed care. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of questions out there, and there's certainly no uh, uh, no end in sight to the, the conversations that's going to go on in this legislative session. And I think it was interesting, even one of the members of the uh, the board um, when that that voted in opposition uh, to to this question why they were being put in a position to vote on managed care funding right at that moment when that there was no guarantee that the legislature would appropriate the funding mm-hmm. and there's where we're at legislature will they appropriate the funding for managed care at the end of the day right. uh, Tulsa's my health access network gets denied a protest to a lost competitive bid to contra- contract with the state's health information exchange as, it may, as we mentioned last week the health care authority declined to go with my health despite it being a local company and offering a bid $30 million less than the national company, which got the contract. Neva, why would my health be denied this protest? Well, I mean, the the state purchasing director denied the, denied the protest on Tuesday, and basically in a fairly lengthy, it was 11 pages, I believe, the response uh, that he gave, he denied the protest, uh, uh, basically saying it was without merit, uh, even said it was just... Uh, uh, basically, the opinion—it was sour grapes on the part of uh, a losing vendor. So they, 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 they have uh, made it clear their position uh, in that um, uh, in that response. He went so far as to say that my health actually finished third in their final scoring matrix, and 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 he made the point that it's up to them to decide what that matrix is and to. Um, you know, follow through as basically as as they deem appropriate uh, in this in this process. So uh, I don't know where that leaves it. It would appear that it's uh, it is a done deal in terms of, of what's going to happen now. But uh, I think it, that that all of the concerns that have been raised prior to this to this decision and prior to the protest uh, not being not uh, not being upheld or moving forward is the fact that you you have the federal government concerns that have come out. You had 13 major uh, entities in Oklahoma coming out, uh, expressing opposition, expressing concern over this. And so we'll just have to see if anything else uh, happens beyond this. But uh, clearly, uh, uh, clearly what we saw this week was that my health is, uh, uh, did not get the bid and Orion, uh, the, uh, the 
entity that did get the bid will move forward and and it will it will be interesting to see if they can produce i mean that there certainly will be a lot of interest and i think a lot of attention focused on uh the follow-through on this given the fact that there was such a disparity in the in the bid amounts at the end of the day at the end of the process ryan does my health have another uh, venue to go or another avenue to go through as after being denied the appeal i mean i think that yeah, I'm sure that they're, <clears throat> I'm sure that that my health and their allies right now are looking at litigation options. You know, is is there any way to demonstrate that the government's actions here were arbitrary, uh, that they went beyond uh, the authority granted to them? Um, you know, what was the? It, I mean, it, it just it does seem awfully strange that you have one bid uh, that is significantly lower in cost, but I think even more important than that, uh, and that's with my health. Uh, my health has a demonstrated presence in the state of Oklahoma. 80% of healthcare records already in their system. And their ability to hit the ground on day one uh, and build the system that the state of Oklahoma needs seems far superior. I mean, everything that you know, we in the public, you know, I'm not I'm not in these meetings, these closed door uh, uh, considerations or, or looking at them, but just we as the public looking at these things, uh, it seems awfully strange that a far superior bid would come in third, uh, apparently, in a scoring matrix put together by uh, the healthcare authority and the state's purchasing uh, office with OMES. I mean, it's important to remember that these two, OMES and the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, as we mentioned in our prior segment, are uh, over the last couple of years have um, become really under the thumb of the governor. Uh, you know, if the governor wants something out of the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, if he wants something out of the state purchasing director, that's what happens. And you know, so I, I think that there's there's got to be this question of why the impetus to let this contract to an out-of-state group that has <clears throat> doesn't have the, the existing infrastructure in the state of Oklahoma and has a bid that's tens of millions of dollars more. Um, so even if there's not a legal option here, I, I do think that if you look at the coalition of organizations that came together backing my health's bid here, um, those are some very powerful political hitters. And <clears throat> so if there's not a legal option here, perhaps the legislature gets involved. And you know, maybe the legislature isn't in position to direct the healthcare authority with what to do, but the legislature could set criteria for what, what you have to do if you're gonna be uh, the, the healthcare record administrator for the state. And they could set it up in a way that would benefit my health in a future scoring matrix. So um, there are political and legal options that I'm sure everybody is looking at right now. If there were legal well, options, I just want to know if, you, if there were legal options, wouldn't all this stuff have to come out because it's all have to come out in, in, in discovery in, in court and court of law? Well, you would, you would think so. I mean, um, you know, you know, generally in a, in something like this, you would, uh, you, there might just be a settlement up front. I mean, my sense is that if there's a strong enough legal argument, my health or one of their allies that relies on my health files, uh, a challenge, uh, brings Orion and the state of Oklahoma to the table, you know, the settlement there before you have to open everything up and potentially embarrass folks about what's mm -hmm. happened here is just to reopen the bidding process, start, start over, um, or at least, what, one of the things that the state said that they didn't do was to consider my health's most recent bid, which was tens of millions of dollars less. They said that they ignored that and they looked at a higher number that they had put in. Um, so maybe a settlement here would be for them to go back and score based on that last bid that my health put in. And all of that could happen without having to go through discovery. Neva, you were saying something. Well, and I think the other thing that uh, 
factors into this in my mind is the question. Here you have a company, and this nonprofit, that already, as we've said, hold 80% of all the medical records generated in Oklahoma. This has happened over more than a decade. Now you have a new, a new a bid, uh, someone that is starting this process, and will be starting from scratch. And so, you know, the question I think uh, from a from a business perspective is: Is there not some way to fashion this where? Uh, there can be some uh, some dual process or some something that would integrate what has been existing and what has taken place for more than a decade. Now with perhaps this new vendor, if if in fact that uh, moves forward, but without the without millions upon millions of dollars being expended uh, by the state of Oklahoma, uh, having to pay for something that basically is already here and at hand. So mm-hmm. I think I think there are still a lot of questions. Whether or not uh, any of them get uh, uh, get any further consideration remains to be seen, but I think it does place a, a great deal of focus on uh, uh, performance by any uh, by anyone that successfully bids gets a contract under these kind of circumstances. Attorney General Mike Hunter is suing a bar owner for failing to deliver on personal protective equipment. Hunter says Casey Bradford promised to deliver more than two million masks after getting an upfront payment of more than two million dollars from the state. In the end, Bradford only produced 10,000 masks. So the state is suing him to get the money back. Ryan, does the state have a case here? Yeah, I think the state has a case. I I also think that in this process, uh, it's going to I think that there may be some, uh, you know, embarrassing uh, uh, facts that come out about the state's dealing in this. I mean, I. I mean, it's it's hard to remember back to, to March of 2020. That seems like uh, you know forever ago, but also just yesterday. Um, but the, there was a, a genuine uh, urgency uh, to like we've got to do everything that we can, uh, and that led to some really terrible decision makings, uh, decision making processes, and decisions that were made. Um, we'll I'm sure at some point talk about the state trying to get a refund or trying to sell or unload the, the millions of dollars of hydrochloroquine that they bought that was just you know ridiculous. But we did it uh, because the governor, I think, presumably heard President Trump say something about it uh, or then President Trump say something about it. And and so he went out and bought it. And now we're trying to sell that stuff. And we'll probably, you know, if we are able to sell it, sell it for pennies on the dollar. Uh, it was a terrible deal for the state. This was also a terrible deal. This one, uh, you know, um, I don't. I don't know who you trust more, uh, former President Trump or a piano bar owner from Tulsa. Uh, but when somebody, when a piano bar owner, and I don't mean any disrespect to piano bar owners out there. But, you know, don't send me emails. Um, you know, I love you guys. But a piano bar owner comes to you and says, "Hey, listen, uh, I've got two million masks that I'm going to sell you. Uh, I'm going to go to China and help you know, uh, you know, secure the deal." Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a terrible idea, but you need to do some diligence there. Um, you know, it's one thing if 3M shows up at your door and says, state of Oklahoma, we've, we've got some mask, uh, we're gonna help you out. But you know, some, some random guy shows up and says, hey, I've got this, I wanna make this deal. Uh, there needs to be some diligence there. And we'll, I think we'll find out in the process of this litigation what the state actually did or didn't do. And, and hopefully that'll give us some lessons because this isn't going to be the last pandemic. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I hate to say that, but, you know, this won't be the last. We're going to have to deal with stuff like this in the future. And whether it's mask or something else that we can't even imagine right now that we have to secure as a state to protect our people, uh, understanding uh, how our shortcomings in 2020 and 2021 
really help us move forward in the future. And I think that we'll see that in this in this litigation. Neva. Well, I mean, this is certainly a, a, a very regrettable situation. A, as Ryan said, it came in in the in the heat of the moment in in a pandemic when the panic was on to get masks. Uh, there was a shortage nationwide. But here you have a company, an LLC that is uh, basically started, uh, formed with the Secretary of State paperwork in the same time, in the same week that they're getting a bid from the state of Oklahoma for two million masks. And I mean, and when you when you begin to look at this, I mean, the fact that the state even then went so far as to pay half up front, I mean, two point one, two, five million. And 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 you had the uh, this businessman uh, saying that he could deliver in ten days. None of that occurred. Uh, the state got fewer than ten thousand masks, and now we're and 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 only three hundred thousand uh, dollars back of the of the deposit. So now here we go. The attorney general is now in the mix, and the the Department of Health is trying to uh, is trying to get back their deposit after canceling. The, the four orders. So it's a mess. And when you look at what what I think uh, in many people's minds would be the first question is, what was the criteria that uh, was was being used for these decisions? And why would someone um, with a with a uh, basically a business portfolio of uh, two or three uh, small companies um, in, in a short period of time, since all of this has ensued, the same business owner has uh, added four additional companies to his portfolio that he lists. I, I find it ironic that in, in none of the information, if you, if you look up uh, information on this particular business or businessman, do you find any reference to PPE, PPE Supplies LLC, which was the entity now uh, that uh, the state of Oklahoma is trying to sue to get money back. So this is something I think that w- what's done is done. Litigation obviously will ensue. It appears from from things that have been um, uh, that things that have been said and and written about uh, this incident that there was an attempt for mediation or there was an attempt to try to uh, try to get this thing uh, handled and get the money back without having to go down the road of. Uh, of, of going to the courtroom, but that seems to be where it's headed. And I think uh, I think this is I think this is a case in point that we should watch because, as we know, this will not be the the last time that we have incidents like this in a crisis or in a moment where we need, as a state, inventory that is not on hand, and there needs to be a very strict criteria and process in place so that these types of incidents don't happen again. The state Supreme Court deals another blow to Governor Stitt over gaming compacts. In a ruling earlier this week, justices say Stitt lacks the authority to negotiate with Kyaligi Tribal Town and the United Katua Band of Cherokee Indians. Neva, this isn't the governor's first loss in the courts on this issue. It is. And again, uh, basically what has been said, the court has said that the governor exceeded his authority when he negotiated the compacts. This uh, goes right along with uh, the uh, Oklahoma Indian Gaming Association and others that have consistently maintained from day one when the governor started down the road of the fight with the tribes over over the uh, gaming compact that, in fact, their model gaming compact that was crafted more than 15 years ago was valid uh, between the state and any Oklahoma tribal a nation. So 
Um, I, uh, it's a, a loss for the governor. He lost uh, when uh, the, the House Speaker and the uh, Senate President Pro Tem uh, went and filed suit against him on on the issues related to the compact. So uh, I think I think it, when it is when you have the high court on an eight to one ruling, uh, basically again saying that uh, that these compacts these compacts do stand and in a clear in a clear delineation of of that and and particularly saying that the point that i thought was most interesting in the ruling was the fact that the point was made that it that without the approval of the joint committee it disrupts the proper balance between the executive and the legislative branches and i think uh, this is something that lawmakers in particular i think will pay a great deal of attention to now and moving forward ryan well, I think that that's really you know, a bigger issue. I mean, even if you take compacting uh, out of this, if you take you know, the, the sovereign tribal governments in the state of Oklahoma out of this equation uh, and just look at it from from that, the separation of powers issue, uh, you know, that's what Senator Treat and, and House Speaker McCall in, in some of their statements after this. And I think it's really important to, to say that it's critical that we maintain uh, separation of powers in the state of Oklahoma. There need to be checks and balances uh, between the legislative branch and the executive branch uh, and the, the judiciary. Uh, of course, you weighed in here to, to enforce that. I mean, that's that's a healthy democratic process. Um, and so it, it is an important marker in the separation of, of powers uh, doctrine in the state of Oklahoma. I think that there, a, a theme through a lot of our conversations today has, has been uh, executive power uh, and the consolidation of power in the executive away from the legislature. Most of those, you know, two of those conversations with, with the healthcare authorities, private managed care uh, effort, and with the, the selection of a uh, healthcare records vendor for the state of Oklahoma, the governor won those. You know, his, he, he got the legislature to go along with the consolidation of power uh, in the executive branch to hire and fire folks at will, to select more of these folks on these boards, to hire and to fire people on boards at will. And so the governor won those two battles, or at least initially. Um, and so if we hadn't had this this week, it would have just been, you know, three and O for the governor uh, and, and the consolidation of executive power. Uh, I think consolidation of power is going to be a real theme this legislative session. Anyways, the legislature isn't immune from this. They're trying to consolidate power in themselves by taking away the right of the initiative petition process. I mean, so everybody, you know, you can have all the power in the world, but, you know, power begets the, the desire for more power, I suppose. And so that's what we're really looking at here. It is interesting. Uh, the governor said that, you know, he was he was grateful for the court to provide some clarity uh, on this. And you know, that begs the question, was the governor the only person in the state that wasn't clear on what the law was? Because uh, everybody, uh, everybody, uh, lawyers, the legal community, the, the, the tribal community, uh, the business community, the Republican Speaker of the House, the Republican President Pro Temp of the Senate, uh, all saw clarity in the law, um, which, you know, I don't think that the governor was sitting over at the governor's mansion thinking, we don't have clarity on this. I think the governor saw this as a political move uh, to to try to uh, gain a political advantage in his comp his ongoing compacting fight with the tribes and with the legislature, and he did that. You know, whether or not there are political dividends that come out of this or not, I think remain to be seen. But I, I think the the outcome of this litigation was was always clear and obvious to to people uh, uh, from the moment it was filed. 
1921 Race Massacre Centennial Commission votes to keep Senator James Langford. As we talked about last week, several members wanted Langford to resign or get removed after his opposition to the election of President Biden. But after Langford apologized, the commission decided to retain him. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this decision? Well, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the commission, uh, you know, they, they, they mentioned and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to second guess the, the commission's decision here. Um, but I do hope that the, the public statements that they that the commission has made about Senator Lankford being an important ambassador uh, and ally uh, for issues um, uh, for black Tulsans in particular uh, and reconciliation for the Tulsa race massacre in particular. Um, that they've got some concrete, uh, that they've got some concrete guarantees from the senator uh, about what he's going to do moving forward, and it's not just some amorphous, ambiguous promise of trying to trying to be, you know, more thoughtful and more understanding and and learning. Those are all great things, um, but you know, the the senator has been given the benefit of the doubt that he had a blind spot about how his comments. Uh, and his actions, his, not just his comments, but his actions to object to the certification of the Electoral College, how those, uh, he, he says that he didn't see that as an attack on, uh, on black voters uh, in, in cities like Detroit and Atlanta uh, and Philadelphia. Um, and he, he didn't see that as you know, disenfranchising the hard won voting rights that, that are still being fought for in those places. Um, so he's been given the benefit of the doubt there, but it's hard to give him the benefit of the doubt that what he was doing was a was raising legitimate questions about the outcome of the 2020 presidential election because no serious observer uh, including members in, in his in senator langford's own party like senator mitt romney saw uh the allegations made by president trump as anything but bogus bogus efforts to inflame a, a an increasingly dangerous base um, and so he played into that and so i i hope that the commission moving forward uh, has some sense of what the senator is going to do to actually reconcile his actions. It's it's you know saying you're sorry, saying you want to learn, great starts, uh, but there needs to be some teeth to that. Neva, well, I think we had a we had a situation as we talked about uh, as it was kind of getting set up last week that the commission uh, these folks uh, had an opportunity to basically have two choices. They could either make up or they could break up. And 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 they chose to, to make up. Uh, it was uh, certainly uh, a process where, by their own admission, several meetings, uh, oftentimes very tense, but that the outcome of, of all of these folks being in the room, making the decision, was that they ultimately said they sought a consensus. They wanted a well-reasoned decision that would be that all of the members of the Centennial Commission could support. And I think that is what uh, occurred. They basically accepted uh, the senator's apology. They embraced his uh, uh, desire to reaffirm uh, his commitment to bring both uh, resources and opportunities to uh, to tell the story, uh, to, um, uh, to be involved in telling the story about uh, the Greenwood District, Black Tolson's, Black Wall Street, uh, the 1921 massacre, all of this uh, with just months coming up before uh, the the centennial, which will take place May 31st to June 1st of this year. So I think when we talk about um, talk about trying to uh, move forward in educating not only Oklahomans about uh, 
the 1921 race massacre and all of these other things we talked about, but making it something that we develop an awareness nationally about. This was, a, I think, a, a positive step in, in continuing down that road for this commission to have success in trying to uh, do what they initially outlined and have been working on now for quite some time. Neva and Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.